grass came and took its toll And in the name of flood control They made their plans and they drained the land Now the glades are going dry And the last time I walked in the swamp I sat up on a cypress stump I listened close and I heard the ghost of Osceola cry So blow, blow, seven oh wind Blow like you're never gonna blow again I'm calling to you like a long lost friend But I know who you are And blow, blow from the Okeechobee All the way up to Meganopee Blow across the home of the Seminoles and the gods. The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and we are live on 89.7 FM, WVFS in Tallahassee, or online at wvfs.fsu.edu. If you miss even a second of the show, you can catch it in podcast form anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Tomahawk Talk. If you'd like to call into the show today, you can at 850-644-1837. We will have at least one guest on the phone lines a little bit later on. I'm joined today by my good friend and co-host, Gary Putnick. Gary, I know you had quite the experience this weekend at the Playball Clinic here in town. Yeah, I was able to actually go and write for MLB.com and cover their first HBCU uh, Playball Clinic. And that was really cool because I got to... Meet some really good people. I worked with alongside MLB. I worked with an MLB Network producer, Alexa Ramos. She was amazing. She was really nice. Helped me in any way that she could. And just the people there. It was a great event that they put on, and it was great to see. They had close to two over two hundred kids show up for this Jeez. event. Great event. Love to see the game of baseball growing in this area. Hopefully, some good talent comes out of it. Yeah, we're not necessarily here to plug MLB.com, but Gary's story is up on MLB.com. We'll try to get it up on the uh, V89 Sports yep. Twitter uh, because Gary did a great job this weekend, not only representing Florida State, but representing FSVU and in V89 Sports. And uh, it was really cool to see what was going down at that program. It was a huge weekend for baseball oh, yeah. in Tallahassee, obviously the Playball Clinic, and then over here at Dick Hauser Stadium on Florida State's campus. You had Florida Atlantic and Texas Tech coming to town for a huge weekend. Florida State played four games this weekend, went 2-2. Two and two. Not the best weekend, but Texas Tech, a very, very formidable opponent that, that uh, really showed how good they're going to be and how dominant they're going to be headed towards Omaha. Yeah, and Tech, before the season started, or before the season started, or before the series, sorry, that they were sitting anywhere from 2 to 5 in a lot of the rankings. So you just knew it was going to be a tough weekend for this team. And, hey, I guess 2 and 2 ain't, two and two ain't bad. They, they took care of business against Florida Atlantic yeah. and struggled a little bit about Texas Tech. We're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, those, those two series, I guess, uh, a little bit later on in the show. Matt Povtak joins our panel tonight. Something I've learned about Matt recently is that he's a huge movie buff. We did that Oscar, 
Tomahawk Talk Graveyard Shift podcast, like an hour and a half on the Oscars, uh, right before the Oscars, uh, learned a lot about movies, uh, even though I thought I was pretty, pretty, uh, the pretty big movie buff myself, but Matt, you taught me a lot, and also, you're a huge soccer fan as well, the team you support, Bayern Music, Bayern Munich, rather, took on my beloved Chelsea in the Champions League last week, uh, didn't go that well for me, but we'll talk a little bit about that match in the rest of the Champions League results later on the show, a little bit of soccer talk on Tomahawk Talk, and it's something that I don't know if has ever happened outside of, like, the World Cup, maybe. Yeah, Nick Carlisle, Luke Fay, Michael Hudak, Clint Island, they're all rolling in their graves exactly. right now. <laughs> We're talking soccer on Tomahawk Talk, but Matt, how have you been, buddy? You know, I'm doing great. I'm always a pleasure being here, always a privilege. Thanks for having me. I'm riding high a little bit from that Bayern Munich. I know we'll get, on to it, uh, yeah. get into it later on, but I'm feeling great. Thanks it, for having it, me. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a fun watching experience, but again, we'll, we'll save that for later on in the show. Making his debut on the Tomahawk Talk panel is Howie Berg, who has been killing it on the Florida State beat for us lately. Yesterday provided some great coverage uh, from Florida State women's basketball. Howie, what's that been like uh, covering some of the sports around campus and, you know, getting really ingratiated here of 89 Sports? Yeah, uh, thanks, Brett, for first of all having me on here. And uh, you, guys cannot, uh, you guys have taken me in as, as one and treated me like family, and I, I appreciate that. I've uh, gone to a couple events so far. Super fun. I mean, sports, what's not fun about that? Exactly, but yeah. uh, the women's basketball game, great game last night, or uh, yesterday, uh, during the day, actually. But uh, senior night, Knowles could not pull it out. But a uh, hard-fought game. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. But, uh, you know, shout-out Kaya Gillespie, Nikki Akoma, and Naja Wolfolk, Wolfolk yeah. for uh, all seniors. Incred- so. An incredible season. And Nikki Akamu and Kaya Gillespie both making first team All-ACC. Unfortunately... Couldn't get that one last home victory against the defending national champions, Notre Dame, led by Muffin McGraw. Uh, but just because they're the defending national champions, that's a game Florida State should have won. That's a game against a team that Florida State needs to be able to uh, beat going into the postseason. Yeah, and Muffin McGraw, I mean, we all probably saw her Twitter or Instagram post a few yeah. weeks ago when, uh, Notre, when uh, Notre Dame was facing off against UNC. She was, uh, took a picture with um, UNC head coach. And they were, and she said, "Here's two pictures. Here's a picture of the of two of former champions who are struggling through this season." So I mean, if she herself is saying that her team is struggling, Florida State should have been able to step on it and beat the uh, Fighting Irish. Yeah, Notre Dame finished the year eight and ten in the conference. Florida State, though, uh, due to some other uh, results around the league, ended up in that number four seed, which gets them a double bye in the ACC tournament. So they don't get to play until. Friday in the quarterfinals of the ACC tournament. Do we have the bracket up? We'll have Matt pull the bracket up. We'll talk a little bit about that. But this team, this has been a, an up and down year for Florida State women's basketball. Twenty-two and seven overall, and that's nothing. You know, that's a that's a great. Yeah, so season. It looks like a really good record. But like the this back half of the season, the new year, once we got to twenty twenty, this team started to crumble and started to show the little yeah. cracks in its armor. And that's really what's going to be like. They're in. In a way, they're kind of limping into this postseason. Yeah, they've, they've, they've been up and down throughout the throughout conference play. It shows that their non-conference schedule maybe wasn't the strongest. I mean, they did play Michigan State and Texas Tech, and they did take, beat them pretty nicely. Yeah, yeah. So, no, they, and they they beat Florida, which they've been doing for mm-hmm. you know many many years now in a row. Um, and they beat LSU on the road. They they had some good wins, but once you got into the ACC, and just like on the men's side of things, the ACC is a complete is a so such a strong conference in women's basketball. Florida State goes eleven and seven, and that still had some massive wins. Mm-hmm. They went on the road and beat NC State. 
but they dropped a lot of games at home too, and that's just it. It really. Uh, I don't know. It didn't put a damper on the season because Kaya Gillespie was just an absolute delight to watch. Best player on the team uh, for my money. Her and Nikki Akamu killed it. Naja Wolfolk as well. Valencia Myers, Courtney Weber, River Baldwin, and Sammy Puisas, the two mm-hmm. freshmen. Uh, River Baldwin was a McDonald's All-American coming into the season. And I thought not only was she really good this season, but she showed how much room she has to develop and could become one of the best players um, on this program, on this team. Um, but, I mean, this is a team I look at them and I... I could see him getting bounced early in the tournament. This, these four or five days of rest that they have coming into the ACC tournament are going to be huge for them. Because I know before I said when they were on a three-game winning streak coming into Duke, where they had like a 10-game break, I said that was detrimental for them because of that. They were on a hot streak. They were starting to roll. They were feeling themselves. But now they're kind of uh, struggling. They need a little mental break. I feel like they just, this team just needs to clear the mechanism and just get to the next game. And I think that's what they're going to be able to do this week. Yeah, one thing I will say is that this team, the, although they had a great overall season, they're not looking like the same basketball team they were at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, after that, uh, Michigan State and Texas A&M, I think Texas A&M, they whooped. They were the third team in the nation at the time when they beat them. Um, they they absolutely went to Texas A&M and handled them. And then Michigan State, and it was like, wow, this team is great. And they're just not looking, they're not performing like that team. And right now in the women's basketball, or women's college basketball landscape, it looks like there's such a disparity between the top three teams and everyone else. It is a clear difference between the Oregon's, the South Carolina, UConn, it's just such I don't a, think anyone's going to beat Oregon this year with Sabrina and... Y- y- and y- South, I'm pr- South, I'm Carolina, name. South Carolina is playing really well, South though. Carolina That's the too. problem. Like, Gamecocks have always been a big yeah, team in college basketball. Yeah, so it's good. I'm, I think it's going to be... If anything, I don't know where how the bracket's going to play out, but it could be South Carolina, Oregon, the national title game, and that'd be perfectly well, yeah. fine by me. And uh, come, uh, come Monday, we'll know how Florida State fared in the ACC tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, they start Friday against, we don't know their opponent yet, they've got the double bye, they're into the quarterfinals. Moving on to the men's team, uh, Florida State men's basketball had a bit of an up and down week. They uh, dropped a game to Clemson uh, by a point at the Little John in South Carolina over the weekend, which a lot of us thought that kind of may have dashed their hopes at an ACC regular season title. But then Not Duke goes so and lose, <laughs> loses to the Virginia Cavaliers. Uh, and Jay Huff had like double digits and blocks, shut down Vernon Carey, fouled out in that game, uh, and uh, it was really uh, uh, an incredible game to watch, an incredible finish, and Virginia pulled it out, keeping Florida State's hopes alive. They've got two games left, and they've got to win both of them. They go at Notre Dame this uh, Wednesday, and then they finish on senior day at home against Boston College. Uh, if both, I think a lot, we, th- we think that they're a lot, going to be easier to win for Florida State. Yeah, Notre Dame should be a win, but who knows, Mooney, John Mooney could come out and drop another double-double as he usually does. But, I don't know, I expect these two to be cakewalks in a sense, but who knows, Notre Dame can surprise. For sure, and, and, and now joining the show, we've got the lead writer, lead basketball writer from Noel Game Day on the line, Austin Vizi, who's former manager here at Florida State with the basketball program. A guy that knows more about this program than just about anyone else uh, in the biz, but Austin, you there? Yeah, what's up? How are you guys doing? Yeah, so Austin, I know you've you've seen a lot of games from Florida State, home and away, throughout your life. This year, you've gotten the chance to see them on the road a few times. What's that been like? How is this team being received by uh, home crowds, home teams, other coaches, other sets of fans? Yeah, every environment's different. 
Um, this is going to surprise a lot of people. Duke's a great environment. They're really, really nice towards opposing teams besides the students. Um, then on the flip side, NC State's horrible. They treated us like crap. I don't know if you guys saw my tweet about it, but uh, Travis Light's dad got kicked out of the game. I heard about for, that one. Yeah, for talking with fans. Um, <laughs> it was a rowdy crowd. That entire that entire crowd was not a fan of Florida State. And it's kind of like the football program has been, where it's this new blood coming in, just winning and winning and winning. I think that's kind of the reputation the basketball team is getting right now. And so do you think that's, a, you know, you talk about NC State and the way their fans kind of treated Florida State, that team, and, and, and the Florida State fans. Do you think that's new? Do you think that's because of how well this basketball team's been playing? Yeah, it's part of it. I think it started last year with the road game at Georgia Tech when you had the walk-ons come in and they're dunking on people with 10 seconds left in the game. I think that's part of it. Um, but it definitely, does, it definitely doesn't help that the team's as good as it is. In talking about how, how well this team has done. I thought this was going to be not necessarily a transition year, but a year that Florida State was going to kind of have to take a step back. They had back-to-back trips to the second weekend in the NCAA tournament. This year you lose guys like Fiondu Cabangeli, Terrence Mann, Phil Kofer. I wasn't quite sure what this Florida State team was going to be, do this year. You had the extended ACC schedule from 18 to 20 games, and they have absolutely blown through the ceiling of my expectations. What do you think has been different about this team this season? I think the biggest difference is they're more consistent offensively. And there's still games offensively where you're like, man, I wish they'd do a little bit better here or taking care of the ball or shooting the ball. But overall, overall, they're shooting the ball much better from the free throw and from three. And that opens up the floor so much for a guy like Trev Forrest who just relishes on getting to the rim and attacking. Yeah, for sure. They're getting production out of guys like MJ Walker. Wyatt Wilkes has stepped up big time. Even Raekwon Evans, especially as the season has gone on. A junior co- a junior college transfer, I think out of Northern Idaho College, a college out west, uh, has absolutely killed it. Uh, but we know about the impact that guys like Trent and Devin and, and Pat Williams have had on this team. But are there uh, one or two other guys on this roster that you believe have been essential to the, to the team's success this season that may have flown under the radar? You just mentioned him, Raekwon Evans. He started off the season slow and a little hesitant coming off that partially torn hamstring. But the last, ever since we got into 2020, he's been really, really good. Um, especially the last couple of weeks, he's given Trent minutes off that he desperately needs. He's a dog defensively. He can get to the rim. You saw in the Louisville game, he had that big end one when we were on that run that kind of solidified that they were, it felt like Florida State was going to win that game. Um, and Anthony Polite, I think he's, stepped up his production this season he's much better shooting the ball he's more confident and at his size he's a great defender and he's got the athleticism for it hey austin gary here i got one question for you or i got a couple actually i know you mentioned before like we look at this team in every game now and then we see a thing it's like oh well i wish they shot three better this game i wish they shot better from free throw line but what do you think is going to be the one thing coming down the line here for this team that's going to stop them from making a deep push in this tournament i think it's going to be taking care of the ball there's a lot of games where they're really careless with the basketball. And, it's, but, and I know a lot of it comes to track because he has the ball in his hands so much. But he's still averaging three turnovers a game. And that's too high just for one player. And I think the team's averaging around 13 or 14. When you're forcing 17 or 18, that's fine. But you'd still like the offense to tone down their turnovers just a little bit. Because you're going to face some defenses that are just as opportunistic as four states. And they are going to come up against teams, you know, in the tournament where if if they have those turnovers, they're going to take these. The opposition is going to take advantage of that. Florida State's kind yeah. of skated by a couple of these really close games where they have turned the ball over. Obviously, we know how much they generate turnovers. Well, they even turned over the ball a lot against Clemson, or at least it felt like it led to a lot of transition buckets for the Tigers, and that's what ultimately was the death of them. And, and so, Austin, that that game this past weekend at the Little John, we know it's a tough place 
to play. Uh, so many teams have gone in there and lost this season. What do you kind of think was uh, the, the reason behind that that loss on Saturday? Or yeah, Saturday. I know everyone's gonna have a bad taste in their mouths because of that inadvertent whistle call. Which yeah, that was a horrible call. It was a huge momentum swing for Florida State, even with the bucket on the other end. But the reason Florida State lost the game was free throw shooting. I think they shot like 61% from the free throw line. And this is a 76-77% free throw shooting team. You make two more free throws, you win the game. And this is a normally very great free throw shooting team. Malik Osborne, I'm a huge fan of Malik. But he struggled in his past few games from the free throw line. I think it was 1-6 at NC State, 0-3 against Clemson. He's a great player, but if he can't make free throws, he's not going to play consistently like we've seen the past few games. I think he only played... 16, or no, 13 minutes against Clemson and like 16 against Louisville. Austin, did you, does the name uh, Andy Katz ring a bell? I'd, I'd prefer not to talk about him. <laughs> well, we're going to, well, we're going to talk about him. And uh, if you, if for people that haven't been paying attention on to Twitter the past few weeks or this past week, Andy Katz, a writer for NCAA.com, and he has a podcast for NCAA about March Madness. He came out with a ranking. The first ranking was uh, last Wednesday or Thursday where he ranked the top 10 most difficult home arenas to play in this season, this season, the 2019-2020 college basketball season. And he left Florida State out of the rankings. That got a lot of people on Florida State Twitter angry, including a lot of people in this room. I think a lot of these people in this room and probably Austin himself would probably disagree and believe that Florida State should be somewhere on that top 10 list. But he didn't respond. He hasn't really said anything about it. And then... He comes out today with his top 36 teams in the nation, his power ranking, and he dropped Florida State to, what was it, from 8 to 11 in his rankings, Mm -hmm. and it makes no sense, and a lot of people keep getting angry at him, and I know it's just a lot of people wind again to an argument because Florida State is good for once, but what what are you thinking? What are your thoughts on this situation, Austin? The more egregious one was saying the Tucker Center is not one of the top 10 toughest places to play in the country. I mean, they're 64 and three in the last 67 games. They're dating back to February 2016. If they win at home against Boston College on Saturday, which I imagine they would, being its senior night, Trent's final game there, they wouldn't have lost at home this season. They wouldn't have lost since January 2019. That's just insane to me. And I, I, on one hand, I can understand it, but if you're going to have Gonzaga one, who plays nobody in Spokane, you got to have Florida State number two or number three. That's just my opinion. And when it comes to power rankings, everyone has different opinions. Obviously, we're biased. We think Florida State's a top seven, top ten team. He has this eleven. That's that, that's fine. I, I can at least at least somewhat understand that. I, I think it is a bit of the fact that still on the national landscape, Florida State isn't viewed as a blue blood program. No matter what success they've had over the last few seasons, no matter what success they've had at home over the last few seasons. But you heard Devin Vassell say it post-game a couple of games back. What do you say, blue blood, new blood? Yeah, you know, Florida State like is breaking onto the scene. And I try not to let these lists and these power ratings or even the AP poll bug me, but this one did. It just felt lazy from, you know, from me. Exactly. Like How much Florida State basketball do we think Andy Katz has watched this year? In the past four years, how much do we he think he's watched? Like, watched? Do we think enough. five games, maybe? Well, you heard what Jay Billis said. Jay Billis said it was one of the best atmospheres he's yeah. ever seen. And and he kept saying it. He said it once over the broadcast, and I think he said it again on, yeah, like, they have the, uh, the ball, was it, like, something, yeah, they had, like, a show on Saturday, campaign. and he said it. So the fact that he's keep he keeps raving on about this, it means something. And, and Austin, you can probably speak to this as well. And although Florida State has... 
had a ton of success at the Tucker Center over the last three seasons and, and more longer than that. Um, it's this year. It's probably been a little bit different in terms of fan engagement. There's been a little more um, organization with the student section, and I think the the lower bowl seats, the booster seats, have filled out a little bit nicer as well. Do you think that probably might take the the national writers and the national media a little a little longer to catch up on? Yeah, it's probably going to be at least another season of this kind of success for national writers to go, okay, wow, the Tucker Center's that place. Um, and I think the student section is going to have to be reorganized a little bit, whether it goes to the side, whether they add more seats in that section right now. And you got to get those you got to get those boosters in those seats. Yeah, it's selling out, but they're not actually always going to the games. Yeah. Once once that starts happening, which I think I, I really think is going to happen this off season, I think the athletic department and the basketball cr- program is going to get something figured out to where they're getting busted seats. But once that happens, I think national media attention on the Tucker Center is really going to pick up and well-deserved. I've seen some great games and some great atmospheres in my time, my three years there, but apparently it's been on a whole other level these past few games. Yeah, it really has. Yeah, as someone who was there, uh, Austin, this is Matt, Yeah, I can vouch for it. That was the loudest I've ever heard that uh, – student section whole just home crowd get and Austin I had one question for you is if you uh who do you think needs to step up for the Knowles in March for them for them to make a deep run to Atlanta the NCAA tournament's really about great guard play so it's really kind of come, come down to trap Forrest, MJ Walker and Devin Vassell whether they can produce consistently on offense whether they can guard the guys across from them because if they go against the Kansas or if they go against the Michigan State with Cassius Winston there's some great guards this year. There's not a lot of great bigs in all college basketball this year. So you got to have those three guys guarding your best players while also providing enough on offense that they can, you know, sustain their own. And, Austin, one last question before we let you go. Um, pretty big game uh, this coming Wednesday in South Bend at the uh, Purcell Pavilion. Florida State, Notre Dame has won their last five home games this year. Do you think uh, – Florida State is going to have to be uh, on their best game to get a win against the Fighting Irish on Wednesday? Probably not their best game, but at least an A-minus game, for sure. A little, little bit better than that performance from Clemson. In the game in Tallahassee. And they're a great two-point shooting team. If you let them get hot from distance, they're going to beat you. And don't look now, but I think they're sixth or seventh in the conference. They've really, like you said, they've really done well these past couple of months, month and a half. Um, Florida State's definitely got the work cut out, of, out for them, but I don't see this team losing two in a row. I think there's too much veteran experience at the top with Trent Forrest and M.J. Walker and as well with the coaching staff with Coach Hamilton, Coach Jones, Coach C.Y., and Coach Smith. Yeah, Austin, well, well, thank you so much for hopping on the show tonight. We'd love to have you back on as we get through the month of March and hopefully into the month of April with Florida State basketball. Uh, talking a little bit more about that game um, at Notre Dame. Florida State's got their last five games or Notre Dame has won their last five games at home. They've beaten Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, Miami. Uh, and uh, Florida State, I think, is going to have their hands full here. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Uh, John Mooney, he's he's from um, Orlando, from my hometown, and so I grew up watching him come against my rival high school. And he's been a problem since high school, and he's still a problem because of his sheer size and his athleticism. He's able to he's, – he's a rebounding machine. He's a double-double machine, and – he had his way with Florida State when he yeah. came, when uh, when the uh, Notre Dame came to play at the Tucker Center. And Florida State seemingly handled the first half of that game yeah. against Notre Dame. It was in the second half where they struggled to keep Notre Dame at bay. They struggled to keep John Mooney at bay. 
he was penetrating in the paint. He was scoring at a high rate for Notre Dame. Howie, do you think Florida State is going is gonna to have struggle with him again this week? Um, we'll see. I mean, it's it, it's ACC play, so you you know you're going to get your best from every team, no matter what. Especially when you're at the top of the conference. Um, and these next two games are huge for FSU. I think. I mean, a hard game in South Bend. That that's a hard uh, atmosphere to win in, no matter what. Playing away in in the ACC is hard to win, but um, even uh, that Saturday game on against Boston College at home is huge, just because of this loss to Clemson, you know, depletes the confidence a little bit. Uh, it, it was a one point loss at the buzzer, so definitely hurts the confidence. But winning these next two games by a big margin, I think FSU. Uh, needs that for the ACC tournament and for the rest of the, the season. For sure. And Gary, any thoughts on this game at Notre Dame on Wednesday? Just contain John Mooney. That's yeah. it. I mean, that's that's all it's got to be done. <laughs> Matt, and before before we move on to Florida State baseball and into our break, uh, I know you've been having some social media interactions with uh, John Rothstein. Some would say he's the king of college basketball, writer for CBS Sports, uh, and uh, he's created so many great taglines for the sport of college basketball and for so many teams around the country still doesn't have one or we don't think he has an official one for florida state yet i know he tweeted out the other day like leonard hamilton the real og or some, something <laughs> yeah, along those lines chief og chief og whatever it is uh, i wasn't a huge fan of that one i think he probably could have done a little better on that one but matt you think that John might be coming out with something new tonight for Florida State? Well, yeah, I've, I've been on John's Instagram, Twitter. I've been antagonizing him for the past couple of weeks saying, give us a Florida State, give Florida State a one-liner. And I wasn't expecting anything, but today I got a response, actually. He, he mentioned me in a comment and said, stay tuned tonight. So I haven't seen anything yet, but I'm going to continue. I will keep, uh, keep checking it, and I'll let you know if there's any updates on it. Well, we love that. I know... Uh... Gianna, another uh, V89 sports reporter, she's been hot on John Rothstein's trail as well, trying to get him to come up with something a little more unique for Florida State because, my God, have they earned it. They have played some amazing basketball, and even after that loss at Clemson, seeing Duke drop that game to Virginia. Duke's currently losing 23-21 with eight minutes to go in the first half. Still early in that game against Cameron and Dory against the NC State Wolfpack. NC State did beat them in that, in that home matchup uh, in Raleigh. So interesting. I mean, Florida State could pretty much put Duke out of their misery in terms of the ACC regular season race still have Louisville there even though if they end up tied Florida State would win that tiebreaker but Gary let's talk a little baseball yes please Florida Atlantic comes to town I know a team that is near and dear to your heart a program that is near and dear to your heart (laughs) Um, you you were there at Friday's game no, I actually was not able to make it to any of the games. Oh, I but thought you went to the Friday. No, game. I watched some of the games. On, I was able to watch some of the games on TV, but sadly, I wasn't able to be in person. I mean, the Florida State, though, their biggest issue <laughs> this weekend, yet again, and uh, Mike Martin Jr. has stressed this about as much as he could have throughout the season, defense, defense, defense. It's Def- been bad. Defense wins championships, not only in football, but also in baseball. <laughs> yeah. You got to Something that all of our, I assume if you ever played high school baseball, if you ever played any game of baseball where you actually have a big scoreboard in your outfield that shows all the categories or it shows hits, runs, errors. Every coach will point to you after a loss where you make a lot of errors. He'll point to you or point to the board and say, you see that? You got to win the last column. You win the last column, nine times out of ten, you're going to win the game. And that's that reigns true every single time, I feel like. And then they send you the run poles. Yep, and then you <laughs> run poles, bow and arrows, the, <laughs> the whole nine yards. I, yeah. I would always <clears throat> pass on that, but I'd fake an injury at that point <laughs> of practice. Um, but Texas Tech also coming to town. 
top 10 team, a team that's probably going to end up uh, in Omaha at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting Florida State to take both of these games, but I at least wanted them to take one. And these were two close games, so they could have ended up either way watching them. Uh, but you really wish that they had just grabbed one of those games. They just couldn't score runs late. And the last seven inning, or the last from the seventh inning on, in the last those two games against Texas Tech, they got scored five nothing. You cannot have that happen. You cannot be outscored that much in those last few innings because those that that last third of the game is so crucial, especially for this team here. Because the bullpen, there's good parts and bad parts of this bullpen, and they're still trying to figure it out. It's still early in the season. Give them that, but the bullpen needs to be able to kind of. Uh, help the offense because the off this offense can go ice cold like it did it proved that it could go ice cold in these games against tech because they were able to get some runs early they produced something they gave their pitching a lead and then it seemed like the offense just kind of relaxed and they yeah. said we did our part pitching you do yours and we we waxed poetic so much about this florida state pitching staff this this front three these weekend starters C.J. Van Eyck, Shane Rohan, Connor Grady, and this stuff has been there from those guys. They have been striking guys out left and right, kept all of them have ERAs under three. C.J. Van Eyck has pitched in 14 and two-thirds innings, only two earned runs, 19 strikeouts for the junior out of Tampa. The bullpen, a little work needs to be done outside of one Chase Haney, who has been absolutely incredible for Florida State. He has not given up a run all season, nine and two-thirds innings pitched, 12 strikeouts. He's got a whip of .43. That is walks and hits per innings pitch, but the rest of the bullpen could use a little more work. Yeah, I mean, Connor Grady's still good, too. Connor Grady's a very good arm for this yeah, team. He's no. their number two right now. Scalaro is still there. One person that I really like, though, Parker Messick. Yeah. This kid's got something. He, I really yeah. like what he's been able to throw for the past few games. I saw him two weeks ago in the midweek game. He looked great there against USF, and I think he's really got some stuff to kind of bolster Ooh. himself as that maybe a three guy in this bullpen, maybe even a yeah. midweek starter at some Rem- point. Reminds me a little bit of Antonio Velez, a little <coughs> bit of the same style, big old lefty. Yep. Um, he can bring it. I think he throws a little timid right now. He's still uh, just a freshman. He's still, yeah, he's still trying to figure it all out, and that's fine. But his stuff is there, and mm-hmm. he is going to be good enough to to pitch consistently out of this bullpen. We're about halfway through the hour, though. We'll have uh, more baseball talk for you right after this short break. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Cut me down And if my love was just a circus You'd be 
Good evening, everybody. This is Scott Clemens with your Seminole segment. Florida State's men's tennis team has started conference play on a high note after defeating Georgia Tech by a score of 4-1. to After falling behind in doubles, the 15th-ranked Seminoles outplayed the Yellow Jackets in the second stage as Sebastian Arcella, Loris Peroy, and Chase Wood all earned convincing singles wins to seal the game for Florida State. FSU will hope to build on the success this week when they travel to South Carolina to take on Clemson on March 5th and will be back in Florida to take on the rival Miami Hurricanes on March 8th. Moving on, FSU softball went 3-2 this weekend during the Woo Pig Classic in Fayetteville, Arkansas. After dropping the first game to the 19th-ranked Baylor Bears, the Seminoles would win the next three games against Kent State, hosts Arkansas, and would also prevail in the rematch against Baylor on Saturday. The weekend would not end so sweet, however, as FSU dropped their final game against Villanova by the score of 9-6. to When asked about her team's play this weekend, Coach Lonnie Alameda said, quote, Overall, a lot of great learning moments and opportunities for the entire team this weekend, and I'm looking forward to where we go from here, end quote. Softball will return to Tallahassee on Tuesday when the Seminoles take on Holy Cross at 6 o'clock. That's all for tonight's Seminole segment. Now back to Brett Rutherford and Gary Putnick in the studio. Thank you for that Seminole segment, Scott. Uh, I don't know if you've delegated Twitter to Austin. I probably should have asked Austin to do Twitter at the beginning of the show. Are you doing double duty, Scott? Scott That's is a giving big me thumbs two up. thumbs up. He is pulling double duty, uh, doing Seminole segment and Twitter. Do you want to talk a little bit more about Florida State baseball? Overall, you know, they lost that opener to Niagara, and then they didn't lose again until this weekend, Saturday and Sunday against Texas Tech. But uh, what are your thoughts on how this season has gone? We start conference play this weekend. Uh, Florida State goes to Duke to play. Uh, what's kind of your overall feeling thus far into this, you know, this part of the season? I'm fine with the team right now. They're in a good spot. They're still trying. It's early season. It's baseball. It takes a little bit. These teams don't, you don't know a national title team or a, world, a college world series team from day one generally, especially with Florida State in the past few years and how they've been playing. You don't know if you're, they're going to be in Omaha by the end of the year. And I think they're in a good spot. It's just pitching needs to kind of settle down. Hitting needs to kind of find their groove. People need to get out of slumps. That's it right now. I mean, one guy, though, that has that has been playing well, in my opinion, I've liked is Elijah Cabell. I mean, he's still striking out a fair amount, but he's getting on base a lot more. <laughs> he's hitting the yeah. ball a lot better, and he's finding he's finding barrels. Yeah, Elijah Cabell, I've said it for a long time, will be the best player on this team. He has got an 11.06 OPS, uh, four home runs on the season, uh, but that on-base percentage is, is pretty highly inflated after 13, 13 times he's been hit by pitch this year. I mean, I, like, it was crazy when he was at, like, eight through six games, and then he's been hit, like, five more times since then. He was hit three times in one game, 
in a, on a Sunday game against Cincinnati, and he is just is. But it doesn't even look like he's crowding the plate. No, it's weird. I don't know. It's some people would call it an ugly finder, but like that's yeah. just it's weird. It's one of those weird things about baseball. It's definitely not intentional. You know, I don't think it's, it's not, been intentional. He, he no, is no. being mistaken as an Astros. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, if anyone would even consider this being intentional, why would you walk the guy on FSU who has the highest strikeout rate? By well, because, generally, yeah, because he could pull it out of the park if well, he just plays a fastball. More often than not, he strikes out. It feels yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. He's still got that six oh six slugging percentage, uh, and he's driven in twenty <laughs> runs, leads leads the Noles in RBI. But Cabell is a guy that he's got all five tools. Um, does he have any stolen bases yet this year? I mean, he's been on base plenty. He has gotten two stolen bases off three attempts. So he's picked up a couple bags. He's driven in more runs than anyone on the team. The batting average a little low, 212. He could hit a little better for average, but ultimately when you're... He's not there to hit for average. <laughs> when, you're, when you're there providing that much power, you don't need it as much, and he's still getting on base. So the batting average trailing a little behind, but when you've got a 212 batting average and a 500 on base percentage, that's a pretty big uh, variation. Part of that, still a small sample size, only 11 games played so far in the season. A long way to go, 55 games on the schedule for Florida State this season. Another player, though, Nando DeSantis. Starting shortstop coming into last season, got displaced uh, by Mike Salvatore and moved over to second, where he found some success. This year, Salvatore's gone. He's in the pros. DeSantis, we all believed he was going to assume that same position, and he did to start the season at shortstop. And, and Nander's a guy that, when I've watched him at practice or in warm-ups or even in some games, he's got some of the smoothest hands I've ever seen. And <laughs> it's true. It's impressive to see. And like, I remember the first weekend of uh, FSU baseball, his freshman year, and he made an amazing play just behind the mound where he had to come over from second ba- or shortstop, feel the ball off the inside of his left foot, and then throw to first uh, like at a ridiculous angle that he shouldn't be throwing from. But <clears throat> Mike Martin raved about it last year and his abilities over there, and he just. He just is too much in his own head, and Yogi Berra said it best, baseball is 90% mental, the other half physical, and it really reigns true because there are some guys, and I had this kind of thing, talk with some players in high school when I was there, uh, that they just can't play one side of the field or the other. I had a buddy who could play shortstop pretty well, but he could not play second base for the life of him. So maybe it's just something that, like, seeing the ball come from a different way, reacting to it differently... Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just yeah. a change of scenery because second base, he does seem to play a little bit better. I will say one thing. I, th- I don't want to jump the gun with him because I think he should get more reps at shortstop because on Sunday against Tech, he made an outstanding play where there was uh, a man on third and he laid out, kept the runner, and then threw it to first and got the out. And it's like you see the plays like that and you know he has the potential. He can make the plays. It's the, it's the throwing, and it's not like it's the ability to throw. Everyone can make a throw from short to yeah. first. Well, Gary probably can't. But <laughs> whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. It becomes a mental thing. And Gary, I mean, no, in all honesty, true. you do know that. We, we know that more than anyone. There was another, oh, well, yeah, here's another anecdote from high school. When I played on a travel ball team going into my senior year, we had a kid who had the worst case of the yips that I've seen in <laughs> yeah. like in person. Like we've seen we've and heard stories about this. And I wasn't really sure if it existed until that summer, but I saw it and it's real. This kid could not throw from second <laughs> he from second base. From the second base it position. Happens. Yeah, and it's and it's fine. I mean that's just baseball. It's some of the, that's weird one of those weird things. And it I don't know, I he should be able to figure it out and find it, but sometimes you just can't. And it's, that's the reality of it. Well, Mike Martin Jr. said this past weekend that he could be an absolute superstar. I've said 
Oh, that Elijah Cabell could be an absolute superstar. superstar. Matt, you're feeding me pat information sorry, here. Sorry. But Nander, he he's he said it before that uh, he could be uh, you know a great shortstop. He could be a shortstop at the professional level, um, and uh, hopefully he finds he finds it at shortstop. He's hitting two twenty two on the season, eight hits, none of them for extra bases, which is a little bit worrying. But again, still very early on in the season. We can't really speak to much of the statistics this season because it's such a small sample size. Moving on to the NBA, and this is we want to talk a lot more about the NBA as we get close to the playoffs. We're past All Star Weekend. We're past the trade deadline. Uh, in these these the playoffs are really kind of coming into shape. Um, only a couple of spots really up for grabs. Uh, a couple in the East, a couple in the West, or really just one in the West. But what a game we had last night! The ABC primetime showcase, whatever you want to call it. Between the Lakers and the Pelicans, between LeBron James and Zion Williamson, out of all, it was one of my favorite regular. And it's back-to-back weeks we've had really good Sunday primetime games. I believe it was, was it the Clippers Celt- and the Celtics? Celtics-Lakers. Celtics-Lakers, yeah. The, yeah. the Jason Tatum, yeah. did he get the ball really off? Yeah, another really good game. And I've, and I've been one to always kind of ignore the NBA regular season for the most part. This season I've really been enjoying it. And last night was really the epitome of that game. Yeah, I mean, if if you watch the game, it was just a fun game all around because of the uh, LeBron versus Zion hype. Of course, uh, there, there was a there was a little sequence with Zion had a crazy dunk and LeBron pulls up from forty feet the next play the, and hits it. The just to remind, just to remind Zion, I, I, I'm still the best exactly. player in the league. I'm I'm still the goat. I'm still you, the you king. Know. Yes, I'm still the king. And it, I mean, we were talking about the trade, uh, the AD swap earlier uh, before the show, and I think it worked out perfectly for both teams. The Pelicans get their young studs. They have Zion. Ingram's Ingram's going to be a star one day. It already yeah. is. Yeah. Lonzo's coming into his own, and even guys like Josh Hart is are, are playing yeah. that role, and then LeBron Drew and AD. Holiday yeah. as well. You know, yeah. this, this, this Pelicans team, we talk about a lot of teams who are maybe one star away or one piece away from being able to contend for the NBA Finals, and the Pelicans aren't there yet, but I don't call them one piece away. I think they're one or two years of development oh, yeah. away mm-hmm. from being able to compete for an NBA title with the roster they have now. Obviously, they might need to bra- raise the floor, get rid of some of those bottom-tier players that are you know, probably the worst players on their roster, but they've got the potential to have three absolute, and I, and I use this word lightly, Three stars. I don't use that word lately. In Lonzo Ball, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram. Ingram got his first all-star appearance this year. Zion Williamson's doing things that we've never even thought of before. And in Lonzo Ball, I thought, played amazing last night. I mean, Zion, you can't guard him. You, you no, really you just can't, can't guard well, him. Kyle, Kyle Kuzma really can't. I mean, even guys like Dwight Howard, who's, for the most part, a bit taller. I will say Howard, Howard did a good job in the first half, and then he got into that, that spat with well, Melly. Yeah, and he, he got under they, his. They skin. played not too long ago too, so I'm yeah, kind of going back to that Tuesday. game. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, he's just a, a nightmare, a matchup nightmare, and you just physically can't guard the man. So he just puts up a layup, boop, dunk, whatever, whatever it is, he could do it all. I think the uh, Pelicans, if they could keep that core, that strong three core, Zion, Ingram, and Lonzo Ball, I think they could be the next, you know, San Antonio Spurs, where they have five or six great years where they're just. Dominating the West. The difference between the San Antonio Spurs and the New Orleans Pelicans is the uh, the Pelicans are fun to watch. Well, the Pel- no, oh, well, oh, I disagree. With I that. like the Spurs. I like oh, Spurs, Spurs basketball. If, if you like the, the pick and roll, yeah. The Pelicans <laughs> have Alvin Gentry and the Spurs have Craig Popovich. No, I, yeah, they, Alvin Gentry, underrated a, coach. Uh, really, I, I, like I don't Alvin. know. He always shouts out LeBron, so that's why I like. Him. Okay, oh. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but it's crazy how high we're on the we how high we are on the Pelicans. They lost last night. Yeah. 
Well, they're only a couple spots out of the eight. They actually just had J.J. Redick go down for, I think, a yeah. couple of weeks, which hurts because he's the veteran presence, three-point shooter. They don't have many. But they're getting um, some more production right. from beyond the arc, from Ingram, from Lonzo. Yeah. Zion's taking a step back after he went four for four in his <laughs> debut. Yeah. Um, but Drew Holiday as well, and yeah. also providing I mean, a lot Drew of Drew Holiday's underrated star in this league, I have to say. He's a Swiss Army knife yeah. defensively. I mean, he's a first-team All-NBA. All he's probably uh, the most guy for defense yeah. about the Pelicans on this show. I know. <laughs> Sad that Alex isn't here. <laughs> I know. We had him on last week, and we talked about the Pelicans last Not week. Not as much, though. Uh, but was it for the Pelicans? How much does Zion, or how much... If he was here the whole season, how, where would they be? Would they be they, just on the cusp of the eighth seed, or would they they'd be, be in there. solidly at eight? They, they'd, they'd be in the playoffs. Because I think they're Memphis a better team sure. than Memphis. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, yeah, I think they're going to end up getting that eighth spot, which it's, it's, Memphis, hard, it's, it, it's hard, but I see them doing it, and I really want to see that, that Le- Zion-LeBron would playoff they have a chance? series. Would they have a chance if they got to the postseason? Uh, they, they get no. one. They I get mean, they, they, may, they, may be, they don't get swept. They win a game they in win a game in, yeah. One, just but, one. I could see them winning. Gentlemen sweep. Because it, last, I mean, both it, of these games have been pretty. Close. It'd be good for them to get some playoff experience because they're going to need it at some point, yeah. especially with the young core. I don't see those three, Zion, Lonzo, and uh, uh, Ingram going anywhere anytime soon. All right, now someone's going to have to fill me in on this Giannis <laughs> Harden beef because, like I said, I've been following the NBA regular season. I really don't have time to like dig deep into this this petty these petty wars, and I've heard there's been some. <laughs> Back and forth between Giannis and James Harden, to arguably the two best players in the league. Yeah, Harden was. A, he did an interview with Rachel Nichols a few days ago, and he was kind of going at Giannis Antetokounmpo, saying okay. he's just a big guy that can dunk. Honestly, that's pretty much what he was saying. That's the shortened. It's kind of the name of the game. Yeah, <laughs> but he's. But then he was saying, "I've had to work on my game. I've had to learn how to play the game of basketball, not just dunk because of my body size." And he makes a good point here. I mean, yeah, I it's a very fair point. Like he is, and that's he's also making an argument on why he should have won the MVP last year. And I, he's got a good point. It's I mean, pretty crazy. I had to learn how to swim, and Michael <coughs> Phelps could just hop in the pool and win gold medals. I mean, well, one thing I will say is mm-hmm. it's not unprovoked from Harden. Giannis has been kind of yeah, Giannis shooting said shots at, to him. Uh, which is why I picking, love Giannis. When he's picking teams for the uh, All Star game, and Giannis says, "Oh, I don't, I don't want the, I want someone who could pass the ball. I don't want the dribbler." Wait, didn't somebody, which, which is weird because he picked Kemba instead of Harden. Kemba ranked 36th in assists. Mm-hmm. Harden ranked, I think, 10. Yeah, so, he's higher. Yeah, so way yeah, higher. Giannis, ch- fact check. Come on, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're talking about the, the all-star draft? Yeah, yeah. He, he said I, something he, about He did Harden. not care about that. I mean, he picked. No, I don't like, No, but his reasoning all, was but he wanted a guy that could pass. Yeah. And but Harden has more assists. A little shade thrown. And then another thing, um, they asked him at the end of the all-star game, they asked how they were playing offense at the oh, end of the right. game, and uh, Giannis said, we were going to give the ball to whoever James Harden was guarding. And so he's been kind of throwing little jabs at him the whole season, and so I think Harden's right to respond. He said, you know, Harden pr- pretty much said, you know, I have to have skill, I have to dribble, I have to do crossover, I have to shoot. And that's kind of true because Giannis, he's not the best shooter, but he doesn't have to be because of his sheer size yeah, and problem. athleticism. He's the Greek freak for a reason. Yeah, they play two different games. They play two st- and separate styles. So, I mean, it's going to be some disparity because, I mean, you get the guys that are like the paint, like the play in the paint and then the guys that belong on the wings. Well, and, and some people are talking about, well, maybe the Bucks will get to play the Rockets in the NBA Finals. I don't think that's going to uh, happen. The Rockets will have a long I road mean, to get there. They've been playing hot. They've been playing really well. I question the moves they made at the trade deadline, moving, really committing themselves to that small ball. But it's paying off. They're playing well, and, and maybe they do make a run. 
Um, let's move on to the NFL. We haven't talked about the NFL in a while. Obviously, the Super Bowl has was a while ago, uh, but now we're getting closer. We we just experienced we did the NFL Combine this past weekend. We are free agencies looming, and it's a big it's a big off season for the NFL. Obviously, you've got Tua Tagovailoa and Joe Burrow in the draft. You've got the new CBA, which is in being discussed right now, and big time quarterbacks moving teams. Philip Rivers. Don't really know where he's going. Tom Brady could be leaving the New England Patriots. Jameis Winston, his uh, job is kind of up in the air with the Bucks. Um, Drew Brees just announced that he was coming back. You've got Teddy Bridgewater that might want to find a st- starting job elsewhere. But let's talk about Brady first because I think he's the big story here. Mm-hmm. He's his story has the most implications, really. Wherever yeah, he goes, yeah. it's someone that might be the jobs first opening up. That might be the first domino to fall once yeah, we because, get that decision from him. Because say he goes to Tennessee, Tannehill's going to go somewhere else. Where is Tannehill going to go? Is Tannehill going to go to New England? Is Tannehill, where is he going to go? Then you have other guys. And it's, yeah, what? Musical chairs. Yeah, mus- yeah, yeah, the musical chairs of uh, the NFL. But it's so, going to be so weird because he's such a guy that has an impact, but probably won't be that impactful in this final se- or his final few seasons because of his age and because of where his body's at. So I don't really, like, we're all making a huge deal of it because of what he's done, but what he's going to do later on I agree. is right. not going to be that big. I, I didn't I, think I was going to get that take out of you, Gary. I'm proud of you. I know, I, I know Tom Brady. He is a system yes. quarterback. <laughs> and yes, if he yes. leaves, yes. No, there, there, there's zero chance he leaves New England. I just think it, it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't yeah. make sense for him. I with, with the coaching system that he's been so successful for how twenty years, however long, six six Super Bowls. I mean, I don't see how you just leave that to kind of ride off in the sunset. But why wouldn't he have you, said? Why wouldn't why was wouldn't he have come out already and said? I know he did the Hulu ad and he said, "I'm not leaving," but that's a Hulu ad. That's not <laughs> real Tom Brady. Real Tom Brady. I need real Tom Brady to say it, and he hasn't said it. One thing I will say, I think he wants to prove that he could win without Belichick. I think he's tired of hearing people say, oh, you know, it's Belichick. It's, he's tired of hearing you, he's Gary. Not, he's yeah. tired of hearing <laughs> you calling I, I hope he hears me. And, and he's it's like, 43 years old, I though. Don't, I don't think it would be smart of him. I think if he would have said that five years ago, six years ago, and gone to a different team, yeah, yeah he could have won. But at this point in his career, I don't. I don't think it would be smart of him to go. I couldn't see him with another jersey and, on. And well, even... Yeah. And even the two the two teams that are the front runners are the Colts and and the uh, Raiders. Which even if he does go there, I don't see that team with Brady winning a Super Bowl. A- am I wrong? I mean, it would no. not be a smart I mean, move. Right. The t- I think the Titans are the one team where he is the oh, best. Oh right, the chance. Titans. The, the Titans, Titans are the best. Chance. But even I mean, but yes, still, they made the, they made a nice playoff run this ha- year. But I don't the see them. The, the rest of the league or the rest of the conference, they got to play Kansas City. They got to play Baltimore. They got to play whoever. Houston's yeah. good too. That's such a tough conference, and without your crutch that is Bill Belichick and his genius, he's going right. to and, struggle. And even if he does stay, I, I don't see him topping Mahomes or Lamar exactly. Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Or Watson. No or, or Watson, yeah. I don't even know if he would be able to top Ryan Tannehill because he didn't. <laughs> let's, let's move over to the NFC, someone that is uh, near and dear to my heart, but also a lot to a lot of Florida State fans as well, Jameis Winston. Uh, gonna, his contract is up. He could be franchise-tagged by the Buccaneers. Or offered a longer-term deal. But last week, Pewter Report, a, a blog that covers the Bucks, they put out a story claiming the Bucks will not use their franchise tag on Jameis Winston and that they're going to let him test free agency because they don't think there's really going to be a market for him. 
I tend to disagree. They don't believe there's a market for a guy who can throw 30 touchdowns. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I tend to disagree also. with that. Yeah, we don't talk about that. <laughs> I also don't really buy into the validity of that story. And then we saw Rappaport and, and uh, Schefter kind of also reporting that the Bucks may not use their franchise tag on Jameis Winston. They may choose to give it to Shaq Barrett, who led the league in sacks this year, uh, which w- would be a fine option if, if you want to use your tag on that, but then you've got to find a quarterback if it's not going to be Jameis Winston, or you've got to find a way to pay Jameis Winston. How many years? How much money? Are you going to transition tag him? Or you know, could you just let him walk and sign elsewhere? Peter King then comes out today with his Monday morning quarterback column saying that it's not likely that Winston returns to the Bucks. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of substance behind this. It was a quick, like, bullet point on his Monday morning column. But the the winds are starting to turn with more rumors that Jameis Winston might not be a Buccaneer next year, and then he might not even be a starting quarterback in the NFL going into next season. I I don't buy it yet. I still think the most likely outcome is that he's playing for the Bucks? I think he's the best option for the Bucks, given everything we know, given who's available in the draft, given where they're picking in the draft, and given who's going to be available to them in free agency. Yeah, like you said, I don't think there's a better available quarterback out there right now for them to get. Jameis Winston, although he you know he turns the ball over a lot, he gets you points. He threw he threw over thirty touchdowns last year. He can't see. He got LASIK eye or LASIK. He was eye playing surgery. on a partially torn meniscus. He's, yeah, and, and and he's still putting up. Uh, top offensive stats in the NFL. I just, I think they should stick with him. I don't think it would be wise to move on because there's no one to move on to this year at least. Well, it doesn't seem that they want him right now, and it seems that Bruce Arians might not want him there. And if they don't want him there, let him go. He'll succeed other way. Other I, I feel yeah. like I feel like Bruce Arians has never really ever wanted him. Just off the comments. No, yeah. no, I know. I believe wholeheartedly Bruce Arians took that job to try to quote-unquote fix Jameis Winston, and he may might have a different opinion on him now that he's coached him for a whole year. But given what we know, like, Jameis Winston, you've got the best wide receiver tandem, for my money, in the NFL. Yeah. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. You've got to have a quarterback that can make plays with them, that can get the ball right. to them down and the field. He, Tom Brady's can. not going to do that. And he, and he can. And Jameis can. Now, obviously, 30 interceptions. It's, it's it's an insane it's, amount. Of it's pitch. it's scary, but it's also an anomaly. It's the most yeah. he's ever thrown by a lot. He had never thrown more than twenty before. Blame it on the vision. Blame it on the but but, vision. but a lot of people but are we making could it say seem, we could say what, the war, where was the vision at Florida State when he was here? I mean, he wasn't throwing thirty picks when he won a national title. A lot of the stories are framing it as if Jameis Winston has thrown thirty picks every year he's been in the NFL. Yeah, that's just not true. Yes, he's been a high turnover quarterback, even dating back to his second mm-hmm. season at Florida State. That's kind of the quarterback he is, but the idea that he's going to go out there and throw 30 picks every year is preposterous. I, be- I still believe he's going back to the Bucks. Uh, again, a lot of dominoes left to fall. It wouldn't shock me now if he doesn't. Um, the, the rumors are out there that they're interested in Teddy Bridgewater uh, from the New Orleans Saints, who could be looking for a starting job, but a lot of stuff left to happen. Do want to move on to the Champions League. I promised soccer talk Woo. at the beginning of the hour, and we got about five minutes left to talk a little bit about the UEFA Champions League, uh, Europe's biggest club soccer competition. Uh, in the round of 16. So it starts with 32 teams. They do group stages. Half those teams go bye-bye. And 16 of them move on to the knockout stages as we get closer to the Champions League final, which I think will be... Was it, where's that this year? I don't know. It's not... Well, last year was Madrid. Well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a lot more... Uh, we'll talk a lot more about Champions yeah, League. Yeah, we'll get into we get it later. The final. But Liverpool, who won the Champions League last year for mm-hmm. the sixth time, looks to be on their way to a, uh, their first ever Premier League title, lose their first leg 
um, against Atletico Madrid. Uh, in, in Madrid, a game that I really expected Liverpool to win. Well, it was the way that the game started was a shocker because they got a lucky goal that bounced off Fabinho's right foot on a corner and it landed right in front of the net for uh, Atletico Madrid player to just tap it in pretty much. And after that, what Madrid likes to do they just like to sit everyone in the box for the rest yeah. of the game. And that's what they did, and it worked to perfection. Parked because the bus. Yeah, exactly. The, park, the bus got parked, and Liverpool was not able to get anything on that. They had zero shots on goal the entire match. And it was crazy. It's something that no, we had, no one had seen out of this Liverpool team in the past two seasons. Because this team has been deemed um, the, um, men, uh, the mentality monsters, teams that will come back and just kill them in the second half. And they just weren't able to do that. They controlled, granted, they controlled possession about 73% of the time, but they just weren't able to break through into the final attacking third. Yeah, Liverpool dropped that one, one nil to Atletico Madrid. Now it's going back to Anfield for the second leg. I think Atletico is going to have to score at least one more goal in Liverpool mm-hmm. to win this tie, move on to the quarterfinals, because Liverpool, with that front three, with Mohamed Salah, with Roberto Firmino, with, Mah- or with uh, Sean, or Mane, uh, have just scored at an unbelievable rate at Anfield, not just this season, but last as well. Moving on to the other the other tie we're really going to focus on tonight, uh, Bayern Munich and, and Chelsea took uh, played at Stamford Bridge last week, a rematch of the 2012 Champions League final uh, where Chelsea beat Bayern Munich in penalties for their first ever Champions League trophy. This one did not go as well for the Blues as they dropped uh, 3-0 to Bayern. And Matt, I know... You're a resident Byron fan here at the station, and uh, what was your viewing experience like last week? So I'll say one thing. Coming into this game, I was hoping, you know, we'll pull maybe a draw or maybe we could sneak and get a, a sneaky 1-0 win. I was not expecting the dominance that Bayern Munich came out and just – it was like I was watching the game and doing homework at the same time, but every time I'd look up and watch the game, it was Byron was on the attack. Byron was – you know, Chelsea had a couple <coughs> counters and a couple chances, but really this game I felt was controlled – from the first whistle to the last by Bayern Munich. I thought Chelsea played pretty well in the first half, but let me tell you where I thought the difference was. So Chelsea coming off a transfer ban, they haven't been able to sign players over the last year. That was really evident last week at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. You look at Bayern Munich, their two best players in that match. Alfonso Davis uh, left back, they got him from Vancouver Whitecaps, they signed him last year. And Serge Gnabry, uh, the German winger, I don't know where exactly they signed him from, but he was a transfer. In the yeah, Arsenal, I think, might have had his rights. Um, but now they're both with Bayern Munich, and they're both killing it for them, especially in this match where they beat Chelsea 3-0. Chelsea haven't been able to bring in any players. The only player they were able to bring in because they signed him back last January was Christian Pulisic, who was injured. They're also missing Ruben Loftus-Cheek, N'Golo Conte, Tammy Abraham, a bunch of guys that have played a huge part in the heartbeat of that team for the last few years. And there was a big talent gap between Chelsea and Bayern. It shows how much... Chelsea has left to go if they want to compete, uh, you, you know, for Champions League titles once again, like they did earlier on in this last decade. But uh, Matt, what are your expectations for that second leg uh, at the Allianz Arena? You know, in, in going going to the Allianz Arena and playing, and I don't I don't see Chelsea being able to. I mean, how can they pull this out? You know, I won't say I won't say they can't, but it would be a huge task for Chelsea. Yeah. 
Especially with, you know, Byron, they just have to defend pretty much. They don't even have to really play. They couple, don't really have to attack. A couple players that will be missing. Robert Lewandowski's injured, so yes. he'll be out of there. Um, Byron's huge, biggest goal threat. But also Jorginho will miss the second match because of uh, yellow card accumulation. And Marcus Alonso with that late red card will also be suspended for that game. But that's all we've got tonight. Thank you to our producer, Sebastian Angeliano, Scott Clemens for Seminole segment and running Twitter tonight, and Austin Vizi from Noel Game Day for joining the show. For Howie Berg, Matt Povtak, and Gary Putnick, I'm Brett Rutherford, and this was Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. New release is up next.